Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Today we're talking to Libby Gleeson, the popular acclaimed writer who has published over 30 books for children and teenagers. Her books for teenagers include Eleanor, Elizabeth, I Am Susanna, Dodger, Love Me, Love Me Not and Refuge. The Hannah series, Skating on Sand, Hannah Plus One and Hannah in the Tomorrow Room are award-winning junior fiction titles. Libby's latest book, Martab's Story, was published in May 2008 and was launched by the Governor of New South Wales, Marie Bashir. Libby's picture books include Big Dog, Where's Mum and The Princess in the Perfect Dish. Libby has been shortlisted for the CBCA Awards 12 times. She won the Book of the Year for Younger Readers Award in 1997 with Hannah and the Tomorrow Room and the Picture Book of the Year Award in 2002 for An Ordinary Day. The Great Bear with Armin Greeder won the Bologna Ragazzi Award in 2000, the first time an Australian title has won this prestigious award. Libby has been a teacher and lecturer and is actively involved in writers' organisations. In 1997, she was awarded the Lady Cutler Award for services to children's literature and in 2007, she received an AM for services to literature and literacy education. Thanks for talking to us today. It's a pleasure. Now, you've been an avid reader since you were a child, I understand. What type of book do you love reading the most yourself? I think my preference has always been for realistic fiction. I'm a great believer in reading novels, and I tend to read Australian writers as much as possible, although not exclusively. And what's your favourite author at the moment, then? Uh, I cannot go past, my favourite author is not an Australian, um, it's probably Toni Morrison, the black American writer. Right. I think uh, Beloved is one of the greatest achievements in, in literature. Mm-hmm. And what would you be your favourite Libby Gleeson book? <laughs> uh, no, it's too hard, my dear, too hard. <laughs> it's, I always say to children when they ask that question, it's like asking your parents which of their children they love the most because, uh, you know, you're deeply attached to all of them for various reasons. Mm. And uh, and although there might be one that's in your head most because it's the most recent one, it it doesn't really come to the point of being a favourite. Well, let's say then somebody who hasn't read any Libby Gleeson, and what would your suggestion then be for what, the, you know, their first foray into the Libby Gleeson world? Of course, it would depend on who they are and, and what their reading level is. But mm. if it was a small child, then I would suggest any of the picture books would be appropriate with the possible exception of The Great Bear, which is really for older children. But if it's a, if it's a young read, kid who's uh, an emergent reader, then I would suggest the Hannah series or uh, perhaps Clancy's Long Walk, which is a new Aussie nibble. Uh, and if, then if they're an older reader, then uh, any of the more mature novels, the, the books published some time ago that are pitched probably for kids around about the top of primary school, the bottom of secondary school. 
the name Eleanor Elizabeth, I'm Susanna Dodger, or more recently, my most recent title, Mutheb Story, mm. which has only just come out. So tell us about Mutheb and, and her family. How did this story come about and why did you want to write it? In 2002 and 2003, I was very distressed at the way in which young Muslims in Australia were being treated. Any one of the Muslim faith was being vilified post 9-11. And of course, everybody was in shock from that event. But I thought it must have been very difficult being a Muslim child in Australia at that stage. Mm. I spent some time with the principal of Holroyd High School, mm. who is a passionate supporter of refugee children. And she introduced me to a group of girls and told me their stories. And I became very um, friendly with one of these girls. And she and her family had escaped from Afghanistan following the deaths of a number of members of the family. Mm. And they had arrived in Australia on a leaky boat and been put in a detention centre. Now, Nuthab's story is based on that family's experience, although it is not a biography. It's a fiction. Mm. But many of the things that happened in the novel did happen to the Karimi family on their journey into Australia. Mm-hmm. Was it one of the harder books you've had to write? or? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Because it's always difficult when you want to write something which includes a political perspective or a social issue. Mm. And, you know, I'm a very firm believer that if you're writing from the point of view of issues, then you're not writing good fiction. You have to write from the point of view of character and of story. Mm. So although I did have very strong feelings about what had happened to this family, it was the the nature of their personalities, their characters, the way they dealt with the situation they were in, which had to dominate the story. Mm. Uh, and, it did, you know, that whole exercise took me about five years. What was the hardest thing about it? Probably working out how much of the real story to put in and how much not to because, Mm. you know, there's a very strong feeling that you're appropriating someone's life when you write this Mm. and making sure that they were fully aware of what I was doing and that they were happy with, in fact, complicit with it. Right. Now, you do obviously write for older readers and also much younger readers. Is there a particular age range that comes more easily to you, so to speak? Uh, Not really. As soon as I say yes, then I'll think of an example where it's been otherwise. (laughs) um, I certainly enjoy all the different age groups, and it's a case of just getting your head back into that particular age level. I've just written a, a new picture book text, which I'm sure will be directed at the very young, and and I realised what a pleasure it was to do that. Mm. But at the same time, I'm starting working on a big novel for the older kids again, mm. and the challenge of that is exciting as well. So I'd be lying if I said any one group is either easier or more satisfying. Sure. Well, you're very, very prolific, and you seem to write a book or two almost every year. Um, how do you keep up this pace? Because many authors have a much longer you know, gestation period. Well, I, I think I actually don't think I'm that prolific. Really? Uh, in that, in that, something like Mustab's story has taken me five years to write. So oh, yes. the longer fiction is always going to take a couple of years. Mm. The junior novels of substance, like the Hannah stories, they're going to take a year to write. Mm. I think what has happened in the last couple of years is that there've been a number of much shorter works. Plus, there have been a number of picture books that have come out because of the backlog from waiting for illustrators and so on. So it's a bit deceptive. There's certainly no more than one book a year and not sometimes not even that. But at the same time, if you like doing something and you, know, you, you don't mind hard work, then 
that's how I approach it. So in that case, can you take us through a typical working day for you? <laughs> it's a bit hard to say there's a typical working day because, you see, I'm not only a writer, but I also sit on a number of boards like the Copyright Agency and the Australian Society of Authors and the Foundation for Public Education. Sure. So often there are days when there's no writing done at all. Right. If, however, it's a good writing day, then after I've had the morning coffee and the newspaper, <laughs> then I go to the gym because I can't sit at a desk all day without some uh, injuries to the back and the neck. Oh, yes. And then I finally sit down at my desk at about half past nine. And I would, the best days you work right through, no mm. question, mm. Uh, the odd interruption of the phone and the email. Um, and in the early stages, like with this longer novel at the moment, I'm simply make, making notes and research. I'm not actually writing the story. But mm. in, I'm thinking about it all the time and making notes about maybe it'll go in this direction or that direction. And it won't be probably another month before I sit down and actually start trying to create text. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't write at night anymore. I used to. And I don't write in the early morning anymore. Any particular reason? Yeah, I'm getting older. Right. <laughs> Life's too short. I enjoy staying in bed. <laughs> now, the Hannah books are obviously about a girl named Hannah, and you've got three daughters. How much do you draw from their experiences, um, you know, for your Hannah books? In the early stages, when the Hannahs were first created, there was no question that it was definitely based on the experiences of my younger two daughters. Uh, Hannah is a feisty, determined, bright capable little kid and it really grew from the t a time when one of my daughters taught herself to skate on a holiday after having been told not to take her skates blah 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 and she did and she she was successful and I had a lot of admiration for it because you know she decided she wanted to do something and she went ahead and she stuck at it until she did it at the same time Hannah is the a three child part of a three child family in the opening stories and uh I was very aware that in a three-child family, too often it's two against one. <laughs> that happened with us, although which two sometimes changed. Um, and so that dynamic I found quite fascinating. And in the stories, I made the older siblings twins so that Hannah's exclusion from their world was greater than it would under normal circumstances. Mm. Uh, and certainly in the first three of the books, there was a lot of what had happened with my younger two daughters, uh, involved there, although in the second story there's a fourth child born in the family and that didn't happen with us, but I imagined what might have happened. You write about quite a wide variety of different things, so do you do anything in particular to get into each world and get into each age range? Oh, lots of lots of thinking and note-making, I think, and and lots of concern about the authentic voice of a particular character. So that if you know, if you want to try and write about what it's like to be a um, a, a six-year-old in in kindergarten or whatever, then you've really got to spend a lot of time trying to remember a what it felt like when you were there, mm. but also trying to observe and to talk to kids who are there now, because mm. clearly education is different now than it was in the 1960s. Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's not a case of just sit down and out it comes. There's a lot of preparation. You sound quite systematic in the way you <laughs> approach it. Would you would you say that? Because a lot of other writers talk about, you know, having to go for a walk until something hits them. Oh, I, I think if you if you wait for the muse to hit, 
then you're going to wait an awful long time. <laughs> um, you know, I think you have to go out there, you have to determine what your idea is, and then you have to start working at it. But at the same time, you can't always, it doesn't just necessarily come. And I, I do walk a lot too. <laughs> I walk a lot and I think a lot. Um, I used to swim a lot as well, just sort of trying to get my head into whatever the necessary space was. Mm. But probably walking now is the is the one I use most. Or if I'm stuck for a while, I might turn back and read, read other things, not stuff I've written, but stuff other people have written, just to try and immerse myself in good writing and good use of language. Mm-mm. When did you first realise that this is what you wanted to do, write, you know, way back when? It's a bit hard to say exactly, but certainly all through my uh, childhood and adolescence, I did write. Um, mm. Not great novels or anything, because and I know some kids do try and write novels, but I used to just make little notes and write little scenes and so on. As I grew older, I was more interested in study, and I went to the University of Sydney for five years and so on. But after I'd taught a couple of years and I went travelling around the world for five years, I spent time then trying to reinvent myself as a writer. I was quite determined at that stage that I wanted to work out what it would be like to be a writer and how I could do it. And and it was instrumental that I spent some time in a writing workshop in in London. And uh, I had previously heard people say that you couldn't teach people to write, you know, and I thought, this is ridiculous. We don't say that to dancers or musicians or any visual artists, you know, people in other creative art forms, why should it be that way in, with writers? So mm. I spent about 18 months in a writer's, weekly writer's workshop and I feel as though it was my apprenticeship. I really did learn an enormous amount. Mm. And when did it hit you that you could make a living from it? When did that realisation <laughs> come? Well, I remember talking to my first ever publisher who said to me, you can't make a living out of this until you've got 10 books in print. Wow. Now that's quite a an enormous task. Yes. And I think in a way she's dead right, unless your first book happens to be a Harry Potter or something. Yes. Um, I think probably it took me, I published my first book in 84, and I probably just determined it in the early 90s. So, you know, a good seven or eight years later mm. that maybe I could make a living from this. And the only way you make a living from it, I think, is to write the best books you can so that they will stick around for more than six months or a year. Mm. Uh, they have to be books that will appeal across the spectrum, not just to the kids, but to the people who are going to buy them. This is children's literature I'm talking about. Mm. And then they have to appear in libraries, both schools and in the public library sector, so that you can pick up the payments that writers make from lending rights. Mm. And you have to be a member of the copyright agency, so if your work is copied, then you're going to get payments that way. Mm. So, you know, you stitch your living together, both from the royalties and from these other payments. And, uh, you know, you end up a bit like a, I think Les Murray said, a small farmer who pictures their community, they're living together from a range of different things. Mm. And is it something you always knew that you'd get to? You always knew you were going to succeed? Oh, I think that's probably, that's the kind of comment you make when you're an adult. I I don't know that that's the case. There's no question I was always interested in writing and reading, but I don't know that I always believed I would do it. Mm. More only as an adult. And what has been the biggest obstacles or challenges along the way, do you think, in making a living as a writer? Oh, I I think that the the vagaries of the publishing world... uh, such that 
now books have a much shorter shelf life than they ever did. Mm. Uh, their print runs are much smaller. This is not necessarily the publisher's fault, I might add. It's the, the way of the world. Mm. Um, the the new technology, I think, is an issue in that there's a vast competition from um, video and from handheld computer games and so on. Yes. And I, I see all these things coexisting, but I think it's been to the detriment of the volume of sales of books. Mm-hmm. And the other thing which I think has not been fully looked at yet is the devaluing of the teacher librarian. This is an issue I feel very strongly about. Mm. In some states in Australia, there's no longer a teacher librarian. And so there is no longer somebody in the school sector who's going to be uh, the face of promotion of books and of literature and of coordinating the efforts of other members of staff, of having an intelligent approach to the buying Mm. and the marketing of books. And I find that very sad. And I think if I was a bureaucrat, that would be one of the issues I would be trying to address quite strongly. Mm. A lot of people are under the misconception that writing children's books is easier than writing (laughs) books for adults. What do you have to say to that? Give it a try and see and find out for yourself. You know, a lot of people look at picture book text and think that oh look, there's only you know two or three hundred words there. It must be a cinch. <laughs> well, it, in fact, it's incredibly difficult to balance the development of a character, of a story, with with rhythm and language and emotion and you know all of the qualities that any work of literature has to have. And to do it all in so few words is in fact incredibly difficult. Mm. Um, you know, my advice to anyone who who says they are going to write books is give it a try. You know, so many people say to me, "Oh, look, I'm going to write a book when I when I just when I retire or when I do this or when I do that." And I think you know, you're not. You know, if you if you want to be a writer, you have to be prepared to write, and you've got to do it now. You know. Do you write your picture books? Um, do you write the text first, or do you work hand in hand with an illustrator? Ninety percent of the time, you write the the text first. Mm. Um, occasionally, I've done picture books where I've I've known immediately who I want to have as illustrator, mm. and then we've worked together talking about the pro- subject or the, the program as we move through it. But that's very unusual. And ninety uh, percent of the time, it's text first. Yes, because so many people come to me and say, you know, my friend and I, she's an illustrator, or he's an illustrator. <laughs> We're going to write a picture book together. But I, I know that's not usually the way that it's done. <laughs> Definitely not. And in fact, most I wrote a book some time ago called Making Picture Books mm. about the process, and I rang around all of the uh, picture book editors that I had any connection with. And they said most often the books they reject are those that have come in from couples who were, you know, best mates or mm. sisters or something have, have worked together and it hasn't worked and they've rejected it largely because they they find that the illustrations don't measure up. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of writers don't realise that picture book editors have a very clear idea of what uh, what will work and their experiences taught them this. Mm. And so often they'll take a text and they'll edit it through a process, which means that the illustrations you're going to submit are not going to be the same because the story will have developed and changed. Mm. And uh, they also know the illustrators who are sensitive to certain subject areas and can produce beautiful work and that will sell. Mm-mm. And finally, what's your advice for aspiring writers? What <laughs> tips do you have for them to make the writing process easier? Well, I think the first thing they have to do is read. I'm always struck by the number of people who want to write for children and who don't read children's books, mm. so they don't know 
what's being published now. That's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is to write and to write constantly. You know, not to say I'll do it when I retire, but to practice writing now. And my third piece of advice is to join a group of some kind and get good critical feedback, whether that's at a continuing ed or a um, a, a college set up specifically for writing is not really the point. It's a question of finding someone who is going to be quite honest and brutal and tell you when your work is not measuring up. Mm. It, it isn't easy to publish, but it is possible. And, uh, you know, and only commitment and, and hard work are going to get you there. Wonderful. Well, on that note, thank <laughs> you for your time today, Libby. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au or on my personal website, valeriekoo.com. That's valeriekhoo.com. Thank you for listening.